You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Another episode of uh, this program we, we know very well as SUFN or State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish and I have wanted to, to short, shorten that brand for so long, and that's the best <laughs> we can do. Um, uh, it's a delight to have with us uh, a special guest who wants to talk about um, a topic that really has heated up uh, a lot of discussion. And it's not only in the uh, in the world of football, but in uh, throughout sport, there have been far too many instances of bullying and harassment. But the person I want to talk to right this minute is Michael Kane. He's a, a journalist, longtime journalist, and a documentary maker. Did a tremendous job with uh, telling a story about Mark Viduka and some of his uh, uh, memories uh, t- dating back uh, quite a number of years. We really enjoyed that expose on the Dukes. Um, welcome, Michael, to uh, FNR, Football Nation Radio. And, uh, of course, the latest story, the, the story that you have managed to uh, showcase over the last uh, week or so. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. The young woman in question who you got a chance to speak to was Lisa Devanna. Tell us more about Lisa and how she's coping at the moment with... Uh, all the scuttlebutt and all the talk and all the uh, the pressure. Yeah, yeah look, um, thanks. For, for, first of all, thanks for having us on the show again. Um, I'll I tell you what, the, the Viduco thing was a, a breeze compared to all this. Uh, really? Wow. And, look, um, you know, I, I started speaking to Lisa probably about 11 months ago and it was, it was you know, after the Viduca thing, a, a lot of people were saying, who's the next person you'd like to interview? And I, and I thought probably Lisa Devanna because... Um, I, I always, you know, she's a, a mysterious character that always has a forthright opinion. Always, and, and, and a lot of people were saying, you know, she's got a lot of things to say. It's pretty much like Viduka. It was, it's almost like the, you know, the Viduka in the female version in a way. Um, and I knew that her career was, you know, at the time was sort of, you know, teetering because, um, you know, she was still waiting to know whether she was still going to be part of the Matildas. So that was the process I had to wait for because um, at the time there was no, there was a, you know, Ante Milicic had more or less said to, to her, you know, you, your services were no longer required. Um, so there was a void. She was waiting for the next coach to come in, which she did. Um, the, the new coach that came in more or less said, you know, go play some W League, see how you go. Long story short, she, she was told, you, you know, you weren't going to the Olympics. Case closed. Her, her, careers, her international career is over. Um, so while I was going through this, and this was for another um, feature for ESPN, while I was going through all these these questions with her, a lot of stuff kept on com- coming up. A lot of the stuff that's come out into the news recently, obviously, um, which I couldn't ignore. And um, it, it's almost like it started to engulf the, the actual feature, which was going to be purely about her career. But you couldn't ignore some of the stuff, some of the claims and allegations she was talking about. Um, because uh, it all sort of started, I said... Um, that's just a, a generic question. I said, "Was is there a fork in the road where you, you wish you did something differently?" You know, and she said, "You know what?" She said, "When I came into the Young Matildas um, squad, I really wanted to go away to the to the Youth World Cup, the first Women's Youth World Cup, which was in Canada in 2002. I was injured. I probably could have played, but to be truthful, I was scared to go away with those bitches. And I thought, "What do you mean? What What do you mean?" And she said, oh, I was scared of them. And all of a sudden, this story comes out how she was uh, attacked in on her first camp, um, which is, you know, sort of like, you know, you, you think of it, it's like your first day of school and all of a sudden you get bashed by the, by the, the class bullies. 
it's not a good start for school. And it's something that probably has been a scar and it's been, a, you know, um, something that's followed her all the way through a career where she's, you know, she's always been this tough woman. And it wasn't until a little bit later, you know, a few months later, I started to realise that she's had to galvanise herself pretty much from where she was from the start. It's almost like she had to be tough to survive. Yeah, they couldn't get her out because she was just so damn good. They had to keep her in. A, a, a team with Devanna in the side most probably would win. And it's almost like, you know, even the girls that, you know, you know she's rubbed a, a lot of people the wrong way, but they all respected her on the field in regards to her, her playing ability because they knew, you know, there's more chance of her, her you know, them winning the game with, with Lisa Devanna on the field. You're alluding to a culture, a toxic culture of uh, bullying and harassment, and she's had to endure that from the beginning, has she? Yeah, I, look, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's been in the media for a while in regards to the uns... It, it's, someone, actually, I think it was Robbie Slater came out the other day and said this is the, the greatest story that's never been told because it's one of those things that most of the journalists know about it and they, you know, since I've been doing this, since this has been coming out, all these journalists are direct messaging me and, and saying, well done, Michael. We, we would love to have broken this story. We've known about this story, but we just couldn't do it. And there's a lot of factors because of this. It's, it's purely because, you know, I suppose one, especially this day and age, the media landscape is so rocky. You know, things change and, you know, people lose their jobs. And especially in football, there's not many jobs in the media. It's, it's starting to close down. Look at the World Game website, you know, jobs gone. Um, so everybody's trying to stay in the game. So are you going to do a controversial story that could potentially give you the, the exit door? No, you're not. You're going to start, you're going to keep doing the light, fluffy stories that keeps you in the game, which is great. There's, there's nothing wrong with light, fluffy stories. Mm. But when there's some, a story like this that needs to be told, I, I, I tell it. I'm, I'm a freelance journalist now and I've got no fear. And that's probably, I, I said to someone a few months back, um, I think I'm the only person at the moment that can do this story because yeah. I don't think, I, I'm, 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 you know, I shouldn't say that, not, a, not everyone's brave enough. I'm, I'm brave, but I, I, I get everybody else's position within the game because, again, it's a, it's a case of survival these days. Everyone's got to make a living. Uh, Michael, the, the timing is is interesting. Uh, cricket at the moment is going through some challenges. There's been an awful lot of uh, discussion behind the scenes about some of the bullying there. Um, that hasn't quite surfaced like it has surfaced in the past week with uh, Lisa Curry-Kenny talking about, of course, swimming Australia and, uh, and the reach and how big that code is. And she's been appalled by some of the enablers who have allowed uh, young uh, swimmers to be groomed, to be harassed, to be bullied, and to, to make their experience, uh, which should be a joyful one, uh, a, such a painful one. And it, it suggests to me that Lisa, um, if she's going to leave us with a legacy, I think she's reaching out, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. And I think what she's doing, she doesn't want a penny out of this. What she's trying to do is make sure that those that are, that are going to follow her don't have to endure the rocky road that she's had to endure. And I think she also wants to throw some, some, some light on all those people who have been enablers along the way because no one bully, no one groomer gets away with it unless others look the other way. And we've seen it with the Me Too movement, uh, uh, Weinstein in America. We've seen it uh, with Epstein and others. Seriously, big money looking the other way because it's important to them to have that person on board. And here we are. We've got 
a major sport two years away from the World Cup. And as you're right, people want to protect a very precious bit of commodity and property. But at the same time, we need to make sure that all those mums and dads can be secure in the knowledge that from now on, yeah, let's talk about the historical stuff. It's gone. It's happened. There's not much we can do. But but set in motion uh, a formation and, and a fabric and a foundation that will protect all those to come the next generation of young Matildas, young Socceroos. Uh, let's not think it's uh, isolated to yeah. one code or one sport anywhere in the world. Look, uh, uh, you know, you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, Lisa's not getting a cent for this. I'm not getting a cent for this. And a lot of people went, what? And it's like, well, I don't want stuff to come back on me like I'm doing this for the money or whatever. Yep. I'm doing it for the right reasons. That's why I'm doing it for nothing. Um, and also, too, when it comes to bullying, and this is, I, I don't think I've told anyone this, I've done a stack of interviews the last few days, but Lisa is starting to get bullied again by some of the people that was in that team back in 2001 because of this. Now, 20 years later, the same bullies are coming back at her. Um, but in saying that, there's also people reaching out. There's, there's people that she doesn't know from a bar of soap. Just yesterday, she got a, a message from someone who's a, an elite sports person a female um, in another sport um, that's fairly high up in this sport yep. saying, oh, we're, I'm really proud of what you've done. Um, I'm going through the same thing, but I want to know your mindset. What made you feel like coming out to say this? What triggered it? How did you go about it? Because I'm seeing some stuff in my sport at the moment that I want to speak out about and I want to pick your brain. And I said to Lisa, I said, You're, you think of it now, you could actually be a real advocate for this. This could be your next career move because to, to say that, you know, it's not right for this, you know, no is no, you know, you, you've got to put a stop to this and and your experiences can be valuable for the for the youth coming through. And the thing is too, it's, it's been the last few, you know, it, this was hurried along very much by the, the US, um, the stuff that's happened in the US with a, a couple of coaches with, with alleged abuse cases. And in um, Canada and in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, and so it was a case of I was I had this stuff I was sitting on it, and it sort of pushed it, you know, it, it pushed it into the, you know, we had to press the green button and uh, the go button, and yep. uh, so the fact that Lisa yeah put out a tweet about that, which I said thanks for that, you know, you could have told me, um, <laughs> um, but it it made us have to, to to go with it, but it was it's been the, probably the best timing you could possibly you know you could possibly have. Um, because again, it's it's um, it's opened a can of worms, and the thing is, the last few days it's sort of been really emotional because he's trying to get people on the record. There's a lot of there's a lot of stories that I know of, and they're they're all coming forward. Some want to talk. There's more to come in, in days to come, um, but there's been some that will talk but not on the record. And the, the 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 thing that really, as a father, as a person myself that I can't get my head around is there's a lot of parents that, that have admitted that their daughter's been targeted, but they won't come forward because they're worried about the the progress of their, their daughter in some elite program that it might, you know, they might be ostracized. Again, there's that word ostracized um, and, and not, and not, you know, play. And and then some of these parents are actually coaches as well. And they've got positions. They, they're, some of them are paid coaches at, at clubs they don't want to say anything because they're worried about their job. And I'm again, I'm thinking if I've got an 11 year old daughter and if, if I heard anything that someone was trying to groom or, or anything that, that, that raised questions, I'd be banging down the local police station door. And I don't get it. Why 
other parents wouldn't think that. I get it, but we're talking about a crime here. We're not talking about, you know, like like the Catholic Church. I mean, someone to to be brave and say something, and it's almost like, you know, I think for a while, you know, a lot of people knew it was happening, but, again, no one wanted to say anything until the, the, the floodgates opened. Let's hope that this is the floodgates for this. With that in Look, mind, it's a very Kenny, important story. Go ahead. With that in mind, Kenny, I mean, all of this stuff you've mentioned, you know, other examples from the world of sport and elsewhere has been pretty much driven by institutional blindness. With that in mind, what have you made of Football Australia's response since the article came out? Well, the thing is, is that um, I've known that James Johnson, you know, was, was sat before he, he was appointed as the CEO. I know two people. Um, that sat down with him, two separate meetings, sat down with him and said, look, this is happening in women's football. You need to have a good look at it. This, and, and he was told about some allegations, some allegations that haven't come to surface, which you would be shocked. I mean, some of the allegations that have come in already, this is 5%. This is 5% of what's really out there that, that you know, probably legally we can't touch unless someone wants to actually talk. But some of the stuff that I know, it, it's, it's mind-boggling, and I wish I could report that. Um, but the fact that James was told about this, and this is this is going back over a year ago now, mm, mm. hasn't done anything about it for his own reasons. I don't know. Um, and now it's coming out. You know, it, it's almost like, oh, oh, really? You know, we're, you know, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, you know, I know of people that that. I know these people that, that had this meeting with him and, and he knew full well. So, again, maybe you know, he was a new administrator turning up. Um, and don't get me wrong, he's a very good administrator. Um, but, again, if I'm, uh, if I'm walking into any industry, any business as a new boss and someone's telling me about this, I have the duty to report that, surely, to goodness. Uh, he wouldn't be the lone person who knew about no. it. There are a host of others. And we've heard, uh, you know, through the various channels in the uh, in the code that there are some seriously uh, well-credentialed uh, people who in high positions, and they're not going to put their hand up and say, it was me. So mm -hmm. we have a massive challenge now to make sure that Football Australia uh, takes what you've, you've uh, demonstrated and showcased over the last week or so and listen to what Lisa has to say. Yeah. Uh, James has asked her now to uh, to make sure that she uh, actually uh, pencils down and, and gives them specifics. Now, if that indeed goes on and something happens, we've, we've done, and importantly, you've done a very uh, great service for not, not only the code, but for sport and women's sport predominantly in Australia. Um, it's mate, a, and, and it's just, important. Just staying on that too, sorry. Um, I mean, there, there are people on the board that that are actually wanting this to come out. They can't say anything, but they're wanting this. They're actually happy that this is coming out because they haven't felt easy about it. Um, so that, that speaks volumes that there's some people there that, you know, at the high level that they're actually welcoming this cleansing. Let's hope it's a cleanse. Mm. Let's hope it, as you say, a cathartic moment for the, for the code, for the game. And as we look forward very important time for everyone involved, uh, sponsors, players, administrators. Let's make sure with uh, what we've done and what you've done especially, we get it right and we get something important done there. Maybe a, a national sports uh, integrity uh, group that looks after not just football, but all the sports across the country, uh, yep. men and women. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
we, we keep talking about it in a political sense. Well, I think this is just as important. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I mentioned to someone the other day, I said if, if there was some type of hotline, the, 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 the thing would melt down. <laughs> from, from, from what we've seen in the last, uh, the, the, um, what news, what news Limited journalists, my fellow news, news, limited, news limited journalists who have been on this case, we've been flooded with people wanting to talk and it's almost like, wow, you know, it, it, it's like we've smoked them out. Um, but if you actually had some type of, you know, a hotline where people wanted to talk, you know, even anonym, anonymously, which is great because I think it's like it's, it's people want to get stuff off their chest as well. They don't actually yep. have to you know names or whatever they say i've been affected by this because again i i've even heard of you know some some players that have been you know it's struggling with their mental health because of this and it's not just i'm hearing that lisa devanna has been suffering terribly with her mental health especially with some of the emergence of this bullying that you spoke about uh, just a moment ago yeah yeah Uh, look i mean awful stuff it's hard because, again, you know, I suppose every every one of us, you know, we all love social media and there's good things and bad things. But it's, again, she probably looks at a lot of the, the bad stuff that's being said and it's probably 5% of yeah. 95% of good stuff. And I said, you've got to be looking at the people that are coming forward and saying, well done, you know, keep going and, and not the, the, the small minority because again you know, you're always going to have again with all social media you're always going to have people haters and oh she got an axe to grind you know mm. you know you know she she should be the most capped matilda you know i reckon she should have an axe to grind but you know what you know she she actually said you know in in that in, interview for espn I, I didn't make that olympics you know i wasn't i wasn't good enough you know she put her hand up and said you know i would have liked to have broken cheryl salisbury's record of 151 caps or equaled it Maybe she should have got that testimonial that Tim Cale got to equal it. Mm. You know, maybe if, you know when you think of it, you know, like she's she's up there as far as a female, you know, footballer is concerned in this country, up there with Cale. Um, you know, as a footballer, as a footballer at yeah. her best, she's yeah. been one of the most exciting things to watch since uh, she arrived on the scene. No doubt about that. Yeah, Josh, you'd agree. Yeah, I think she may have paid a, a heavy price for having to develop this kind of you know, a hard outer shell that she needed mm. to survive in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think that's what's made it. That's what's made her survive. You know, mm. I think she's, um, she's one of these people that, um, again, she's, she's got a lot of bravado, you know, on the field and she's a rough, di- she's a beautiful rough diamond. Isn't oh, she? I've got to know her. And I, like Viduka, I've had to earn her trust because she, there's not too many people she trusts yeah. and I've had, and to the point where I, she's like, you know, she treats me like a brother now. Um, she can tell me anything. And uh, it, I think she's sort of, she's at this point now where, what do I do? All she knows is is, is to be a footballer, which is, some, which is great. That's probably what's made her so good. But in the same time too, when it's all over, you know, she's, she's scratching her head going, what, what, what do I do now? I mean, she's actually, she was in Melbourne when I did the interview with ESPN and she was actually having a kick with an AFL team, a women's AFL team, because she was bored. Mm. Now, I, I don't know, I actually joked with her. I said, you know, if you walked into AFL house and said, hey, I, I want to play AFLW, they'd be throwing everything at you, <laughs> you know, because that's, this, football should be using her, putting her on a pedestal, you know, and if you walked into another sport, they'd be saying, well, have you? You know, mm. football, yeah, but, but again, you know, someone of her ilk and someone with so much experience and knowledge, 
if the AIS was still going, you'd have a, uh, a seminar class, you know, you know, where she just talks about her career and the pitfalls, the ups and downs that a lot of young players, men and women, wouldn't know until you actually get there. I understand that uh, she spoke most eloquently and uh, with great passion uh, before, I think, the victory game in the grand final last year. Um, was it the year before? I can't remember right now. And uh, apparently she grabbed uh, young Kyra Cooney-Cross and helped her to become the Matilda that she's looking like becoming. So yeah. she has this potential in her. She has this, this, uh, this skill of grabbing young youngsters and saying to them, look, come with me. I can make you better. Yeah. And, uh, and, and she is enormously passionate. And I think there is a role for her. Let's yeah. see if the game is brave enough and courageous enough to say to her, listen, let's work together to make sure that this never happens to anyone else. And, and not just that. I mean, she, you know, when she's on tour, it, it, there's a few young girls that, that come on tour and, um, you know, they might be struggling financially. You know, and this is something that she doesn't tell anyone, but she told me this. And I think I put it in the article for these. Yeah, yeah. De depositing money into young, these young girls' accounts just to help them. Didn't want any help, didn't want, didn't want any praise or anything like that. But again, you know, these are things that I said, you should be telling people that. And I get it, you know, sort of say, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Mother Teresa, she said, but, <laughs> but we know that. Um, but, you know, but again, these are little things that, you know, people don't see that side of Lisa Devanna um, is that she, she wants to help that next generation and come through. And she also, because of what she's doing here, she wants it to be a safe environment for the next generation. Let's hope that's her legacy, huh? Well, we've already had a contract offer in the comments for Lisa Devana. Uh, George Cross, <laughs> President Mark Sultana, saying Georgie's will take her any day of the week. So, Fantastic. Uh, there you go. The options are out there for LDB. Well, she, mate, we should set up the hotline too at FNR and let's see if we, if we have people to come on board. She did play a, a celebrity match in Perth uh, a couple of nights ago um, for Perth Glory. Um, and I think, they, I think they also, you know put their arm around her and said, hey, you know, you want to go around again? She's actually thought about it. She's actually said, you know, I feel like, you know, I might play again. And I said, look, you know, you're in a position now where you're in a really good position to probably take the next step forward in your life. You play W League for another season. By the end of that season, you're in this same position again. I think the iron's hot now to, to actually do something with what you've achieved right now. I think if you, if you wait another year, it might be gone. advice. Interesting advice. Uh, Michael Kane. Uh, we imagined it was going to be an interesting uh, first opening segment on FNR's State of Our Football Nation. We didn't realise just how hot you'd make it. Well done, mate. Continued success. Uh, keep uh, pushing the stories out at ESPN. And once again, thank you for shining a very important light um, on, a, on, a, on an issue that needs to be addressed ASAP. As we touched on earlier, there's a w Women's World Cup, a huge event coming down under in the next two years. We don't want any semblance of this going forward. It needs to be addressed right now. And Lisa needs to be approached and brought in and to find out as much as we can to make sure that everyone we know who is inside is doing their level best to protect the next generation of players. Thank you so much. Yeah, look, it's been great to be on your show. And um, again, let's let's just hope that, you know, we can, we can make change. This change is already happening. And- rolling not just in this sport in, in this sport but but other sports as well and in any environment really on you Kaney. thanks guys speaking Michael Kane from ESPN joining us on FNR Josh Parrish uh, tells me we've got a, another couple of special guests coming up and uh, Kaney, before you go 
Oh, yeah. You mentioned Perth Glory. We've got Tony Sage talking about a very interesting pickup he's made. Young guy, you may have heard of him. Played for Liverpool once upon a time. Daniel Sturridge. Not a not a not a bad sign, is he? And I'm I'm a Liverpool supporter as well. So oh, stop it. Stop oh, well, it. I'm a Newcastle Jets supporter. So when Heskey was here, you know, it's 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 great. A Fowler. It must be a Liverpool. Somebody in the water about Liverpool. Thank you very much, mate. You'll never walk alone. (laughs) (laughs) Great segue. (laughs) Good on you, mate. All the best. See you, boys. Michael Kane. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Welcome back. State of Our Football Nation. Huge show this evening. Next up, President of the Preston Lions, representative of the United Football Group, David Svetkovsky, good friend of the station. Welcome to FNR. Thank you, Josh and George, for having me after such a compelling... Um, I was just sitting there listening to you. That, that was absolutely brilliant, George. And whether it's our club opening the door, I know Dan Fodden, uh, our senior women's coach, or, or any other club out there, um, a legend like Lisa um, is, is welcome uh, to, I guess, most clubs. Um, and Mark Sultana from Georgie's will probably be calling me soon on that, but no, absolute compelling and, and, and brilliant insight, guys. We've got to get around her. We've got to protect her. We've got to help her because there are people who, uh, you know, if they really love the game, uh, they would step away from the game because they've done far too much damage. They they probably want to sit there and uh, um, be part of the, uh, the Women's World Cup, uh, you know, celebrations and preparations but if they truly love the game if they wanted the game to go forward i i would think this would be their moment to to see that the cavalry is coming and uh, they step aside but uh isn't it great uh, josh to hear that there are clubs npl clubs and other clubs who are prepared to to support a talent that has played out of her skin whenever she's put on whatever jumper she's when she's played for, for victory, she's been lethal. When she played for South Melbourne, she was lethal. When she played for City, she was lethal. And when she plays for uh, Australia, she, at her best, has been one of the most exciting things to see on a football field. Absolutely. As a father of two daughters, George, uh, I've, I've watched my daughters watch Lisa and uh, the, the way they hold her as a, a leader in, in, in sport. Let's just call it sport. Um, yeah. I've seen yeah, it through yeah. my daughter's eyes and that's, that's you know the legend that she's created, which we need to to honour and continue. Correct, uh, David. Uh, you, you said you're a, you're a father of two daughters. Uh, I've been to a number of uh, matches where the Matildas play, and I've seen so many young boys yep. there in attendance, not only enjoying the football, but embracing the the champions, whether they're yep. the young Matildas or the Matildas. Yep, so absolutely. it seems to me that the next generations don't see it as men and women; they just see it as Australian reps. Australian sides, and we, we want to get behind them, which is the ideal way to support anything, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate, George. I think uh, most weekends there's about eight games uh, two girls will go to, and they'll drag my dad, my granddad, uh, their granddad along, and my dad just says, son, I didn't think with two daughters we'd be going to so many games per weekend, and, and that's, we, we, that's a beautiful but we are. thing. We are. Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, something thing. very important we need to talk about Um in the NPL, of course, in Victoria, COVID caused absolute upheaval. They've seen the season cancelled. A great number of clubs were made a number of promises. Uh, and, of course, those promises uh, have been put in abeyance or they've basically been uh, put on hold. But should this season go to naught or should something be made extraordinary to make sure that the next season, gives us a chance to give 
a whole bunch of people a pat on the back for their efforts, for their achievements on the field, and to say maybe next year we'll have five or six go up, yeah? But next, the following season, we might have six go down, if you know what I mean. Is that a possibility? Uh, is, is the organisation courageous enough to do something as exciting as that? Well said, George. Well said. I'm, I'm actually going to keep that as a little statement <laughs> to play to some people in uh, football circles. But this journey for us really started um, in August. Um, clearly, we were going to come up against uh, the challenge that, that, that's been that COVID and, and the impact on football, however. Yep. And, and you, you said MPL, but this is bigger than MPL because this will have impact down to all levels from MPL 1 all the way down to the state leagues, including both the men and the women's leagues. Because as we sit, the WMPL at the moment on the eve of a Women's World Cup in Victoria, six, eight teams, eight teams for a sport that's going to host the World Cup. So eight weeks ago, and, and I, I'm wearing two hats tonight, and um, yep, I am the pr president of Preston, and I obviously have the interests of, of my club at hand. However, eight weeks ago, there was four clubs that got together and said, something is not right here. Mm. We've, we've been sent on this path. We understand 2020 as an anomaly. Yep. We, we couldn't anticipate it. But surely, heading into this year, where we have documentation, um, and it was, it was early in August, and what this has brought out, and, and I'll take you on a bit of a journey here, was mm. football, we usually play against each other. We're rivals. We're rivals. We get to the grounds, we're rivals. You might have some friends. Yeah, what yeah. this has done has united clubs, and it started with four clubs. Um, you know, Peter Kyriakopoulos at, at Brunswick, Lutona at Pascoval, Mark Sultana, who we're probably going to have a bit of a scratch match over Lisa later on. Um, <laughs> we, we're in discussions and we're going, this doesn't sound right. This is, mm -hmm. this is from our perspective, a loss of re revenue. The, the system has been negligent in, in misleading and betraying us when um, as, as late as August and September, August the 9th, we were given documentation. We have documentation that is saying there will be promotion and relegation. And we but went there was to a contingency. So they've made contingencies. Well, we don't know what type of contingencies we, we, they were made back there. We were all invited into meetings and we were all asked to put our feedback in. Um, and assurances were made. Assurances to some degree were made, and, and let's let's you know. And I just stop, and and, and I want to be balanced in this because yep. we've had some very good relationships with within the FE and the conversations, and I'll take yep. you under that journey yep. um, based on the dialogue and and where I think we'll get to. Um, and I think you summed it up perfectly in the early phases, um, George. But you know, for for the season to come to a stop, there was there was talk early on of do we play out to November? Can we get the grounds right? Because the fundamental issue here and misplanning was based on us coming back and playing round 15 and 16 mm -hmm. in the middle of a second COVID year and not coming back and playing around 10, 11 to at least have an equal season of everyone playing each other, which has caused some major complexities. So, mm. um, so all indications was there was going to be an outcome. And then all of a sudden, out comes the board season's over um we know some of the other states have had some courage and shown some leadership so we got together um and clearly four clubs have gone well, what can we do and we we wanted to run a sophisticated campaign mm. where we 
where we put our reached out to the FE. So we we've been in constant contact with the FE. What has overwhelmed us is we've gone from four clubs, um, clearly with a vested interest because the four clubs yep. were at the top of the leagues, yep. to calling a meeting and saying which other clubs have been affected. We've got over 40 clubs that not only are involved on a weekly basis and saying, hey, guys, um, we're interested in this, both men's and women's. We've had to go down a legal route to make sure that we've got a case and are protected. Um, so we've got a legal team, which we, we don't want to put these clubs at risk. And they're all saying, we'll contribute. So to the FV, to the FV's credit, um, through the CEO, CEO has been absolutely brilliant in saying, hey, let's create some dialogue. Let's go on a journey. Um, we've, we've um, since uh, September the 20th, we were asked to put a submission forward to the board. So I think this was initially about the why. We didn't think we were being heard on the why. Why should mm. you hear us? Why should you maybe be open-minded to some form of recognition? And, and we can go through what the options are on that. So uh, we put forward the submission on, on uh, September 20th, uh, which was a couple of weeks back. And we've made a bit of progress this week, but you know, we, we are holding the clubs back. Uh, we don't want to go down a legal pathway where there's bloodletting. We don't want a war. Football doesn't need a war at the moment. What we need is to collaborate. We need dialogue. The FV has given us that and they have given us some undertakings. Um, and I guess, I guess as of this week. So before I, I, I guess I go through those undertakings, George, please jump in. Um, we put forward three options, and I, I shared those with Josh earlier today. So mm. the document that that the um, United Football Group put forward um, in being collaborative was based on three options. Now we're realistic. The first one was, you know, straight promotion, recognition of champions. Um, you know, be it anyone from Avondale up the top who were clear, Brunswick up the top. Um, but there are some complexities in that. There are some complexities because, from a mathematical perspective, from a data perspective. Everyone yep. hadn't played each other. We understand mm -hmm. that. We understand that. So there's various models around the world. Let's call them points per per matches play, points points per game play that Canberra has used, based on, I believe, in MPL over over close to seventy percent of the season played. Uh, in MPL, the lower leagues, over sixty two percent being played. Um, so that was first option: promotion, relegation. I'll go to the third one, which was, could we, could we in the early phases, we didn't know because this has changed so much, could we play another two games? Yeah. Let's not throw it out because we, we'd been given to November 30. We'd give, been given to no, number November 30. Clearly, as we're looking at the moment, it, it's going to be unlikely to get the players off a eight-week break. Players have, we've lost players. We've lost coaches. That's been the impact of this. So we've gone, okay. And, and the CEO has been, Right from the outset, from week two after this, he, he was on a football program and, and he mentioned the word re-engineering or restructuring this. This this is and could be the best outcome, as you said in your opening, for football, so that we collaborate and do away with any without any bloodletting. And that's right from the top, from MPL one all the way down.
I, I, the reason I said what I said was because mm. I believe these are extraordinary circumstances. Correct. And you, we must have, any organisation, every competition should have a clause for extraordinary moments. Mm. And you need to have the courage, the vision, and the bravery to say to all and sundry, look, we love the code, we want to protect the code, we understand that all the volunteers have put in the hours, the players have sacrificed, the administrators who've spent their hard-earned money and others as sponsors, and let's give them something to hold on to. Absolutely. That's why I said to you, let's let's promote the, I don't know, the top four, yeah? So and the, and, yeah, and there's some good solutions sure, in there, George. And yeah. make sure that we don't relegate anyone. Yeah. Uh, let's just change the structure. If it's a 15-team competition or 10 competition, let's make it a 20 or a 25 because this way we do something quite extraordinary. Yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the capacity. way down. Yeah. You show yeah. courage. No, and it's like not it. without precedent in Victorian no. football. I mean, just as recently as last year, we had a restructure with MPL 2 East and West becoming MPL 3. And before that, uh, in 2014, I think there were double promotions and a whole raft of different changes. So just promoting the teams who on a points per game basis are in the promotion slots, I think is the like most sensible decision to not cause too much of a ruckus to, uh, you know, scheduling for next season, but also introduce a few extra rounds and get more games in young players, which is a key finding of the performance gap report. Absolutely. Everyone's saying the one thing we're not doing enough of, whether it be the men or the women's, they need to be playing many more weeks of football. Graham Arnold can't get the message off, message over often enough. A very easy decision to make. However, Josh, we need to then just scratch behind the surface and go, well, at MPL 1, they need to go to 16 teams. Yeah, because there's no way to promote. Are the two, three power brokers, who are the two, three power brokers who hold the key to MPL 1 and maybe are really running Victorian football? willing to be open-minded for football's sake or do they want to keep a closed league because what we're hearing is they don't want to have 16 teams because it's going to cost them more to play the four extra games. These are teams with aspirations for the B League. I was going to say, uh, is there an elephant in the room in that we lose grounds maybe if we try this or do we have enough grounds to play and is it simply a matter of the costs being a little uh, beyond what they've all been, uh, you know, putting their budgets to address over the, the last The budget, year George, is very easy. Instead of playing it over 24 games, you make it 28 games. The players want to play. Our players are absolutely make just, just can't wait to get yeah. out there because yeah. the modelling has been done. So we, we, we took a data-driven approach to this. Yep. And to your comment of the first or second, George, we thought, wow, what happens if there's this somewhere the seconds or thirds are very close or haven't played? So we had data analysts look at it and we did it three models. We did the first, second model. Um, we did a points per game model of everyone that played again. And then to be fair, we did a top six modeling. So what does it look like if you take the top six teams who you think would be in the vying for the leagues? We did a top six modeling. And when we overlaid that, the actual results for 85% plus of the leagues were still the same. The first and second team still go through. So we, we bypassed the why with, with the Federation. They've understood the why. If we can help them now um, and collaborate on, on the how we can get this done for the benefit of football, I think we'll have a great outcome. But the one thing I'm, I'm very proud of, and we have a meeting tonight at 8 o'clock, is this has really brought football clubs together. Yeah, we, we've, we've had great calls from you know Avondale, from South. From, we, clubs are, are talking to each other about what football can be 
and 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 as as you know, I've been around football for a while. I'm new as a president. It's actually nice to see because traditionally we're rivals. Yeah, yeah, no, no, bigger than rivalry. This I is bigger people, than rivalry. I've spoken to Josh many a time, and yeah. I said, um, match day is the only time I have colours. Yeah. Every other time, I want yeah. the game to prosper and all the clubs to yeah. win. Yeah. I know it sounds a bit fanciful and a bit, uh, you know, lovey-dovey, but it, the reality is I've been in the game for so long. I love the game. Let's play the ball, George. Let's play they, the ball. what do they say? They say, you know, everybody wins when there's a high tide. All the ships rise, and this is what we've got to do. Pump the game up Absolutely. and give it the the courage to go forward. Listen, we've we've good luck with the meeting tonight. Come back and tell us where you sit. You'll know in a week, George. We we right. believe they'll, they'll either they'll come be back a decision on, within a week. Come Done. back on next Anytime. week because Thank the you. important thing is we've got a we've got a guy who still belongs to Australia. He, he he actually runs a club. He's the chair of Perth Glory, and he wants to tell us about his exciting young pickup. You may have heard of him, Daniel Sturridge. I have heard of him, but just don't forget Preston signed Benjamin Liverdickos yesterday, who's biggest signing in Australian football. Hey, Josh, we'll leave it on that. Have a good night, boys. Benji the Jet. Excellent Benji stuff. the Jet. Take Bob care. Drop well by Dave Fekoski, representative of the United Football Group and president of the Preston Lions. We're going to take a short break. Chris Pelavanis from Western United is joining us on the other side. And as you alluded to, George, Tony Sage from Perth Glory, the owner, who decided to get the checkbook out and bring across one of the biggest marquees we've ever seen in the national competition, Daniel Sturridge. He's joining us later on in the program as well. So make sure you stick around here on State of Our Football Nation. Big things coming up, George. I love it. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. It's the State of Our Football Nation, George Danikin, along with Josh Parrish. And now in his own green room, the man himself, the CEO of Western United, Chris Pelivanis. Yes, Chris. Good evening, and thanks for having me on. And I'm actually disappointed we can't do it in person. I can't wait in the day where we can actually do it in person. Oh. But it's not far. Hopefully, it's not far. Have you spoken? Have you spoken to Daniel Andrews? No, but uh, I'm happy to. Um, I think we all we're all ready to get back to normality as much as we can. I, oh, no, hopefully. In line for the start of the next A League season, which is now, I think, I think I read somewhere 59 days away or something like that. It's not far. It's exciting. Uh, look, uh, what's also exciting is news that uh, Western United have uh, made a commitment and will be seeing a W League side. Yeah, so we found out about a month ago that our endeavour to have a W League season for the next uh, W League team for next season is uh, has come to fruition, and, and it's something the club's really excited. We've got a partnership with Caldy. Um, in the West and, and that now, you know, the foundation we've set there and the opportunities we're going to give young girls in the West and, and to be honest, young girls that, you know, are playing football with another W League team mean, means more opportunities. It's super exciting for everyone. And and to be honest, I can't wait to enter that world. And, and you know, the works commenced 12 months ago and um, I'm privileged enough to work with people like Amanda Stella, who's um, at Calder United and Mark, Toscaro, the coach there, and, and the foundations are being set and the hard work's starting now. So in 12 months, we hit the ground running. And, you know, there are some loyal girls at Calder and some loyal girls in that play football in Victoria that are going to get another opportunity or, or get an opportunity to play, you know, at the highest level in the country. So super exciting. And, you know, all those girls that are 13, 14, 15, they've got something to aspire to now. So, um, you know, it's, it's exciting for everyone. Uh, we talk about coaches and we talk about assistants and everything. You're in a unique situation. One T-shirt now covers it. JA1, JA2. 
Yeah, we do. We do. We've got two JAs. It gets a bit confusing in the office. So we've got someone in the middle too that separates them a little bit, Hayden Fox. So you put, right. put them both on one each side so it's easier to differentiate. But HF, yeah. half time. No, no, yeah, no, that's, no, no. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. No. Look, that's exciting. What are, what's it like having Johnny A around? Uh, Johnny Anastasiadis has been part of the fabric from the beginning. He's a wonderful character, a tremendous coach, cr- tremendous assistant, tremendous knowledge of the MPL and young talent. And Johnny A, who, uh, you know, as we know, great history in the game, one of our favoured socceroos, and he's had um, an interesting time from his early days uh, at Hart, then, of course, uh, at Brisbane, and, of course, uh, now now coming to, to the green room. Yeah, so um, exciting to have John Aloisi join the group, Hayden Fox, and and obviously all our other coaches as well in terms of um, Frank Urich and and um, Johnny Anastasiades. It's, it's an exciting group. Um, I sit back and just I'm excited to the fact that I see the hard work they're putting in. You know, um, they're all the culture that they've created and the um, teaching environment they've created for our players. You know, you don't know how it's going to translate to results or not, but from where I'm sitting as a CEO of the club, I couldn't be more happier in the direction the club's going. And some of the things we put in place at the end of last season in terms of the people we wanted to bring in the club, the culture we wanted to create. Um, from the board down, we're, we're super impressed. And, and and Johnny Aloisi has a lot to play with that. And our GM of football, Mel and Pivato, have done a massive job to, to create that in the first couple of months of being there. And it's just exciting. And now as we bring in new faces, well, new players and all that, and them integrating into what we're building... I can really see what we're developing and it's something special. So um, can't wait for the season to begin. Speaking of building, you're building the new ground. It has started, the new stadium that will be unique and you'll be your own. Uh, so where do you play uh, this uh, new season of football? It just, as you say, the days are counting down. Yeah, so we created a bit of an uproar, as you probably know, a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, so we've now landed back at Amy Park, which was obviously our preference at the start. Um, we've been able to, uh, with all the um, stakeholders involved there, we've been able to reach a solution to play um, games at Amy Park, which is really exciting because it is a great football facility and it is a purpose-built football facility. Um, we did try and obviously have a looked at um, Lakeside Stadium and we entered into agreements there as we spoke, but um, clearly we weren't privy to South Melbourne's arrangements there and, and we couldn't work and ultimately uh, disappointing from one part because we couldn't work on a um, something beneficial for all parties at Lakeside because it is a venue that isn't used that much in summer and, you know, something that football struggles to do is unite and work out a way to all work together and create opportunities for additional revenue for everyone in the game. So someone, I find that a little bit disappointing, but we move on. We we um, get back to Amy Park and that's exciting because it is a really good um it is a good stadium. Our players are really excited. Our football department's excited. And most importantly, our members and fans have an opportunity um, in a COVID world to come to a facility that hopefully will allow us to get even more numbers there. Josh? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of noise around the lakeside situation, but it was your first preference to play at Amy anyway and just continue um, you know, with the continuity you had there from last season, right? Yeah, that, that is true. And, that, and as a board and as an executive, that was our first preference. And as a football department... However, at the, during the negotiations, that became challenging. And it became challenging because there's a lot more content there too with the two Melbourne rugby teams, um, the ability to have concerts there. So at some point, we, we also looked at um, a few other stadiums in the West that I think we've discussed about. But 
then we looked at Lakeside and we said, why not uh, an underutilized venue in Victoria? Um, why not have a look at that and, and create a venue for the next two years until our stadium's ready? Um, why don't we look at that and try and create something different, differentiate ourselves from the other two clubs? But ultimately, look, the best result for football is that we're at Amy Park and, and we get to see um, some quality football you know, and give opportunity for as many people to attend. What are some of the obstacles when it comes to actually staging A-League games at some of these suburban grounds? I mean, I'm sure you've had everybody and their dog suggest where you should be playing home games in the meantime while the stadium's being constructed. But there are some uh, requirements that some people maybe aren't aware of, especially in the COVID era. Yeah, it's it's enormous. I mean, in year one, we even played at Weirden Oval, but that's even problematic because um, some of the regulations include 25% of capacity of seated. So if you've only got 2,000 seats, that means you can have 500 people. You need to have lighting. You need to have toilet. You need to have ticketed now. So you, previously, you could buy tickets at the door. You can't do that anymore. Um, you know, some of the suburban grounds that I've heard, you know, why don't we play at Churnside Park? Well, cricket's there. You can't just pick up cricket and move them, you know. So it, people don't really understand the, the complexities of it, you know. Do they have adequate change rooms? Do they have adequate media? Do they have ability for broadcast? Um, and we've done these audits and we did these audits at a lot of these venues and ultimately we don't have these facilities. And I think I've spoken about this in my two years at, at CEO of West United. The biggest blight we have on our game is we don't have enough infrastructure. Yep. And the sooner we all work together to fix that, um, that's a legacy we should all work together to fix. So I think it's a complete game and, and uh, you know, my friends at Football Victoria and Football Australia, you know, we've got to work together and, and that's what we want to do. And that's what we're going to do at West United. We're going to be different. In that aspect, we're going to show that we can work together to create, help create football assets. So, you know, if Heidelberg get an upgrade, if Melbourne Knights get an upgrade, if South Melbourne or if Green Gully or if, or if Point Cook or whatever the ground is, and we can play a role to help in that, that's what I want to do because that means we're leaving and creating more infrastructure for our um, kids to, to in the future. So that's something we've got to work together on. It's a big project. It's not going to be fixed overnight, but um, I think it's something we can achieve. Speaking of that Chris, big project, uh, how is the stadium progressing? What's the latest and what are the next steps uh, in terms of you know getting construction underway? Yeah, um, we announced, uh, I think, over two weeks ago that um, you know, it's super exciting that construction is going to commence. Even though we've had a two-week construction shutdown, we're still on track um, to begin works on uh, the week commencing the 25th of October, which is really good, and that's the whole road. And so... Um, that's all your services and, and sorry, all your roads that you require to start construction on your training facility and stadium. So when it's a, a project of this size, um, you know, it's going to be staged. So I know I've read in people, oh, you know, the stadium's not convincing. Well, you can't start the stadium if you don't have roads. So um, it's all it's all staged. And, and to be honest, Border Western Melbourne Group and, and all the investors have done a massive job to get us to this stage. And I think the next stage in our uh, in our growth is going to be really exciting and um, I think all the football community needs to get behind us because if we when we pull this project off it's going to be something exciting not just for Western United not just for um, the people that are you no, know no, for back this journey it's for the game and that's the yep. part that I got excited with and that's why I got involved in this project and I think right. most of our board is because we can do something special here and do we need the help of government? Do we need the help of our outstanding partners, Wyndham City? Yes, we do. But it's a journey and it's a journey that takes time. And, um, you know, if we could do it in 12 months, we would have. But I built a house and it took me 18 months. So building a <laughs> suburb 
uh, is it going to take a longer than, you know, 18 months or two years that we've been in existence? Okay. Chris, we've got to go because we've got uh, Tony Sage waiting. He's got a brand new signing he's very excited about. Yeah, I'm going to give him a plug too. Can I give Tony a plug as well? Because well done for I know we're competitors on the field, but how good is it that, you know, he's bringing such a player like Daniel Sturridge to the competition and how good is it, you know, round two, we're going to see him for the first time. I think it is in Victoria against our mob at at Amy Park. So um, I think, uh, you know, we should really be appreciative and people that love football should be appreciative of these owners that are actually going above and beyond to bring us elite talent to the competition. So as football lovers, um, I know he's going to be on after me, but um, a real big shout out to Tony and, and Tony Pinata and everyone at Perth. Um, hopefully we beat them, but at this stage, it's, it's good for the competition. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're you no slouches either with your foreign side. No, 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 you've got some great pickups. Leo Le- 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 Rene Quinn. We're rubbing our hands, Chris. We're rubbing our hands. Yeah, we'll go, we're, we've got hopefully got a few exciting, a bit more news coming up in the next week or two as well, and I'll be happy to get on again and we've got a bit let's, more time. Let's do it. To do let's those. do it. But thanks for your support, guys, and um, really exciting and can't wait to talk more during the season. Pleasure, Double. Chris. Chris Padalamas joining us from Western United. Thank you. Tony Sage is next. Yes, we're going to take a very quick break and Tony Sage joining us on the other side. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. What a busy program on FNR, State of Our Football Nation. George Denekian, Josh Parrish and our next special guest, uh, someone who still belongs to Australia. Last time I checked, they haven't uh, seceded from <laughs> the rest of the country. Tony Sage, the chair of uh, Perth Glory, joins us. And if you see that smile he's wearing. Now, he's excited because Chris Palavanas has just spent five minutes pumping up his tyres and congratulating <laughs> him for the not only the bravery, but the, uh, the vision to bring someone of uh, Daniel Sturridge's calibre and... Uh, and talent to uh, showcase the A-League for the brand new season. Tony, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, George. When did it all start to come together that you you could say to all and sundry around you, hey, boys, hey, boys, I've got Daniel Sturridge in the purple of Perth glory. When did you know? Well, look, uh, we (laughs) the night before, basically, there was a couple of leaks, obviously, uh, around the place because a few people did have to know. Um, but, yeah, but, um, look, two weeks ago, we wouldn't have uh, even conceived of this. Uh, we had an offer in, unfortunately, as I said before on, a, on another show, that uh, uh, we put an offer to Diego, uh, a legend of our club, yeah. and he didn't get back to us. The opportunity arose. Uh, we had Brad Jones. Uh, we had Robbie Fowler, uh, all the heavyweights uh, of uh, Liverpool involved. Um, so, yeah, we found out he was available. Uh, he wanted a challenge. Uh, Terry McFlynn made the initial call to his agent. Um, and, uh, yeah, he uh, came back with a, I'm interested, which was super for us. And then we had to call on, uh, obviously, Robbie, who'd been here at the club. I'm still good friends with Robbie. Uh, and, obviously, Brad Jones. Brad Jones has been pumping up Perth uh, for the last week and a half, not only to him but to his agent. And... Uh, I think it was, uh, my heart was pumping. It was 24 hours. He said he'd give us an answer uh, and we announced it the very next day. But obviously, Brad Jones knew 
Robbie knew, so someone talked to someone, and it did sort of leak, but no one believed it, which was fantastic. How the <laughs> hell can you get Daniel Storage? I was going to say, that's exactly, I knew something was happening, but I there was a part of me saying, yeah, I've heard all this before, to get someone of that calibre who, who only three or four years ago was starring in the EPL, EPL and scoring goals aplenty, um, to, to think that at 31, 32, he was going to be playing for the new uh, A-League season, uh, for Perth glory, no less. Um, I knew it was happening when I saw it on commercial television uh, by a pro AFL station that yeah. got so excited, it, it created uh, a little room in its news to, to tell the rest of the world that an EPL star, former Liverpool great, uh, Daniel Sturridge is coming to play for Perth. I thought, hello, something is happening. And um, my God, can I just tell you, um, we're all waiting for the opening game. And when does he actually arrive in Perth? Well, as you said earlier, um, we don't know if we're part of Australia uh, here in WA <laughs> because of the uh, particular nuances of our uh, of our laws. But uh, look, uh, Daryl Ackman, one of our uh, senior backmen, went on holidays back home. Um, he's had to go all around the country to get back. I mean, our last player stayed and did his quarantine in Adelaide to get to Perth. So, look, uh, it's really up to us uh, working with the authorities. We hope and pray we can have him uh, in the next seven days arrive in Australia. Uh, we haven't got a location yet. It may be Darwin. It may be Adelaide. It may be Perth. I was going to say, wait, wait. We, we can get him here in Melbourne for you. Prime yes, yes, but then he won't up. be able to leave. He won't be able to get... My daughter can't come home for a holiday from Melbourne. So, uh, And I have contacts what's, here in WA. Now, your, your, your business, part of your business is travelling the world. How Correct. difficult has it been for you? Look, uh, it's all like this um, at the moment. It's been very, very difficult. Um, I've lost projects in Africa and South America because I can't get there. Uh, so my companies are now concentrated on more assets in Australia, which has been a good thing. Uh, I've seen a lot more of my family, which has been a bad thing for my wife. I mean, she loves me when I'm away. Um, not so much when I'm at home. grow fonder, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but, yeah so, so look, the answer to your question is uh, we hope to have him on the pitch training in the last week of October if all goes well, because he does have to serve a 14-day quarantine. Okay. Here's the question I have for you. Um, Josh and I uh, uh, are in agreement. His talent is no doubt. Uh, if if we see some of that talent this season, uh, it'll be it'll be off the charts. The game will get a huge bubble. The big question mark is how is he physically? Do we know he's uh, how he's had, he's had to cope with some some small tissue injuries or soft tissue injuries, which can be a bugger. How is he? Look, he's uh, fighting fit. We um, obviously don't sign anyone without a medical. He passed right. the medical in flying colours. He's yep. been training with a club in Spain. They're very disappointed uh, that he didn't sign uh, sign with them. Very disappointed. But they're still allowing him to train there. He's made some good friends there. Uh, so he's flat out training. We're going to put out some shots of him training over the next couple of weeks. Uh, before, Sorry, next week before he leaves Spain. 
the only difficulty is, as you know, when he gets to Australia, whichever location, he's got to be in a hotel. So what we did previously when our team came back from uh, Doha, when we were in the Champions League last year, we had the hotel put in uh, exercise equipment, uh, a treadmill, a bike in the room. So we're hoping to be able to facilitate that for him. Um, we'll do uh, all the players uh, at that time trained together via Zoom. So he's got that. He's already been uh, many conversations already with Richie Garcia, the, the head coach, and where he fits into the team, his positioning. Uh, so, you know, men up front will have um, um, him, uh, Fornaroli, uh, yeah. Keogh. Uh, and behind him, we hoped to have, obviously, Diego, but now we've got five we can't. Uh, but uh, can you imagine Brandon O'Neill? I mean, he, he was highly regarded at Sydney, and we picked him up, and uh, that's fantastic for him to be behind them. Uh, you're, you're accustomed to success. You know full well if, you, if he delivers, you're going to have a bumper season, and there'll be – do you have enough room at, at your home ground? Yes, yes, we do. It's been quite empty during COVID, as you know, with with every club. So our average two seasons ago was almost ten, and we averaged only six, I think, last year. Uh, Look, one thing that the WA government has been successful at is keeping out COVID. I mean, I think we've had seven cases in two years. Um, So that's his uh, mantra: not not having. But with everyone being double vax, look. We're not the only team in the West. You've got the Scorchers, you've got the Wildcats, you've got the Heat, also affected. We've all gone as a group. If all our players are double vaxxed, if they get a test when the teams come over here before they do and when they arrive, like the AFL Grand Finals able yeah. to be held here and yeah. the Bulldogs only did seven days quarantine, but they didn't have all the vaccinations like it will be by Christmas time. Uh, you would have seen the fixtures. We've got a horror start. So the Melburnians will have the first chance after the first game to see uh, Daniel. So I think there's four game, three games in a row in Melbourne. I think we're playing each of the sides. So you're going to have before our fan, well, our fans will get the first look against Adelaide, but then Melbourne will be able to be uh, home for our team for about three weeks, I think. Uh, then there's Christmas, and then we hope the, the new set of fixtures will have still 13 home, 12 home games to go. Uh, Tony Sage is our special guest on FNR, State of Our Football Nation. We're talking about one of his latest pickups, uh, the EPL star, former Liverpool star, Daniel Sturridge. And Josh and I uh, have spoken many a time about one of the most memorable scenes at the MCG, 99,500 people for what was virtually an exhibition game. And the crowd was bigger than that year's grand final. It was Liverpool against victory. And... (laughs) And, and to see the scarves, to hear the song. There are people who are not football people who were there and said to me, it's the most magnificent night I've ever experienced at the MCG. What does that tell you? Look, uh, fantastic. I mean, I was there that night and uh-huh. uh, I was well, up you know. there with Craig Johnson in one of the corporate suites. Great company, great company. Yeah, look, uh, I had a t- I'm not a Liverpool fan. I'm first to admit it, Um, but I had a tear in my eye when I saw Craig listening to the song, turning over, looking at him, and uh, I put my arm around him. He can tell you the story. It was just magnificent. That was a fantastic day. Um, I hope we get many of those uh, here in Perth. I mean, obviously, fans are fickle. We we don't win many games. They don't turn up. But I think for him, uh, the uh, turnout will be massive. Uh, I hope our first game will be a sellout. Um, 
If it is, we'll look at other alternative uh, arrangements to, to, to move it. If, if there's demand for 30,000 tickets, I want 30,000 people to be there. Now, Channel 10, uh, super excited about uh, any signings. They're thrilled to bits with this one when they heard the news. Uh, will it be the game of the week? Will it be the Saturday night game? Look, uh, no one's said any change. I think that night is the Sydney derby oh, between okay. Western Sydney and FC. Right. So, look, uh, it's going to be very difficult to... Uh, to budge the owners of those two clubs away from it. But, look, I think they'll do whatever Channel 10 wants them to do. And I think uh, the ratings numbers will be a lot higher in our game uh, yeah. than it will be in that game. Uh, no disrespect to those clubs, both fantastic clubs. But, you know, you've got to go where the fans uh, go. And everyone's forgetting Chelsea. I mean, he started his career at Chelsea. There's been as many interests from the Chelsea Football Club here in Perth, fan yeah. club, sorry, than yeah. the Liverpool fan club. So, well, you, you know, you we've got Chelsea two there. super clubs and Man City. You had Chelsea. You had Chelsea. That's right. And He's a strong English base. influence in Perth, the city as well. So I'm sure there's many, many expat fans who are super excited to see him in the flat. Yeah, look, uh, I'm doing a talk at the uh, Aluka Tavern uh, next week, and uh, that's where they're headquartered, the Liverpool Football Club fan group. Um, so it'll be a huge night. And, look, I think we've already pre-ordered, got just from that fan club, 300 or 400 shirts just from there. Fantastic. So uh, our merchandise managers run off their feet at the moment. Uh, the Richard thing that Garcia. excites me, sorry, sorry George, the sorry, thing that excites me about this signing, Tony, is that not only are you signing a guy with extraordinary name recognition and with a proven track record of scoring goals, but he scores spectacular goals and mm. off the field, he's got just this magnetic personality that he's going and, to be... And, and the celebration. Yeah, the dancing and the, and doesn't the hurt too. I mean, the lift that this is going to give the league just through his sound bites and his goal celebrations is going to be extraordinary. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm excited. Uh, I want to meet meet him. I haven't had a personal conversation with Richie has, Terry has, obviously Brad Jones. Everyone's forgetting about Brad. I mean, he could have been our number one keeper for many years if uh, we didn't have Schwarzer in front of him and we didn't have now uh, Ryan. Fantastic keeper coming back. Um, and I, I say only 39 because Schwarzer did go to 42 and uh, our previous keeper, well, he's still our, on our books, uh, uh, is 39 also in Liam Reddy. So, look, I think he'll set the league alight as well. So we got one up one end of the pitch and one down the other end of the pitch. I still remember Dino Tsoff at 45 and Peter Shilton, 45, and still playing world-class football at the back. Goalkeepers can do that. Uh, Richard Garcia, what's he made of this? Is he Has he settled down? Is he wearing a smile? Because he's notorious for not smiling too much. Oh, look, he's beaming. Uh, I don't think he's he beaming. will for the cameras because... Uh, I think he thinks, and maybe some people agree, there's more pressure on him. Yes. He's got a, an absolute star at the back and he's got an, two stars at the front. I mean, Fornaroli only, what, three years ago, maybe four, won the, the golden boot. Uh, he didn't have a fantastic season last year and he still kicked 12. Correct. And, and, and the other thing we, we, we must never, ever forget is the chemistry. You may, you may get some more magic chemistry here that we'll see something uh, really exceptional. And that all Look, well. I think you will. Um, once they meet and team up, uh, Keo's also uh, busting out of his skin. So is Brandon O'Neill. Uh, some of our youngsters as well uh, are just dying uh, to have him. And, and you know what that does to a side? It just lifts the mm -hmm. side. So f when the fixtures came out, there was a bit of despondency. 
Now they've got Daniel Sturridge sitting with them for three weeks in a, in a hub somewhere in Melbourne. They're all excited. They want to hear all the stories. They want to hear about the European Champions League. I think he's got it twice. So they want to hear about that so that, that the whole group is energised from one signing. And well, I tell you you've what, got to promise, you've got to promise us he, gets, he comes and joins us on FNR. We want to, we want to, we want to uh, enjoy that experience as well too, uh, Tony. Yeah, no, no, no. We go back a long way, George. Uh, going to all the games that you've seen me go to over fourteen years. I think I'm the the most travelled chairman. Yes, yep, no doubt about it. You win that hands down, and more power to you. More power what, to you. What I was going to say is, if they, if that, you know, game, his debut game, isn't moved to free to wear, I think there will be nothing uh, more that will drive Paramount Plus subscriptions in the the week oh, yeah. before the season starts. Yeah, look, uh, I agree. But, you know, in the end, the power of those fixtures are with the broadcasters, uh, not necessarily the APL management. If the broadcaster wants it and demands it, it will happen. The other thing I was going to say to you, the American baseball do what they call a live look-in. So if it's a critical game or some historical moment coming or something super exciting, they just crash in and they'll say to you, here we are, this is a live look-in. So that yeah. could well happen too. That that option is there. Uh, yep. CBS Viacom, very American in that regard, know how to cover sport. It, it, it sounds exciting stuff. Or, or, or they could do, um, which is probably, I, I think, the best way, maybe a back-to-back. It's uh, four and a half hours of great television. There you go. You can, you can now add to your CV program director. <laughs> well, if I was them, I would do it. If they don't... I love it. Tony, thank you very much for joining us. There you go. You Sorry. just turned yourself off automatically. What was the last No, no, that's, uh, that's my uh, appointment. Uh, right. I, I'm sorry, I have to go. I can't uh, stay any longer. I wish we I could. I could talk longer, about Tony. this for an hour. And, uh, and uh, I believe some of the controversial subjects that you may have got to earlier would have been interesting to, to talk about as well. Because, you know, with, by having a W League team for eight years, I've got some experience there as well. Well, it's exciting times. Thank you very, very much for joining us. No worries. Thanks very much, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Tony Sage, what what an evening and uh, what an opportunity to catch up with one of the best uh, chairs in the business um, who's uh, done something super exciting. Uh, Josh, I saw the smile on your face. You couldn't contain yourself when you heard the news that uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City player uh, Daniel Sturridge was coming down under. Yeah, it's amazing. You thought thought it's not April 1, is it? (laughs) Honestly, I mean, we've had speculation and stories like this before and rumours and they almost never come off. You know, just recently, you know, Jack Wilshire, uh, just last year or the year before, we we were all convinced that Zlatan Ibrahimovic was going to Perth Glory. That didn't happen. So you've learned to be a little bit cynical about these rumours when they arise. But the fact that Perth have pulled it off and pulled it off so quickly, the fact that Sturridge was able to turn around in 24 hours and give them the green light and say yes to the contract is an amazing bit of business. And it's a no-brainer for Perth to bring in a guy of his experience, of his calibre, um, and his reputation to, to drive Name so much recognition in... alone, isn't it? You touched on it earlier. Yeah. Name recognition alone. Social media will go nuts. You can imagine. You can imagine the support and the numbers that we're going to see across those platforms. It, it is seriously exciting. Uh, I, I knew it was a big decision or a big uh, um, coup when mm. Lou Sticker reached out and said to me, "Can you believe Tony Pinata?" And Tony Sage have picked up 
Daniel Sturridge. And I went, really? <laughs> yes. That's amazing. So there you go. Mate, I mean, it's the- been, a, been a cracking program. Thank you very much for your support. It has been fantastic. We've had great questions flying all evening. I'm sorry we couldn't get to them tonight um, because we just had such a packed give, can schedule. You give, can you give me one or two questions that came through just to give me a, a sense of the flavour? Well, uh, we, we actually had Mark Sultana, president of George Cross, suggesting that uh, any neutral venue games needed to make this uh, schedule work with an expanded top flight, George Cross would be happy to host them as well. That's fantastic. Uh, when we were speaking to Michael Kane earlier on a more serious subject, uh uh, JB on Twitch came through um, talking about uh, Mark Jones at Newcastle Jets and a close friend of his who no longer works in football uh, due to the toxicity from his time working uh, at the Newcastle Jets during that period, which lends a lot of credence to the News Corp articles that have come out in the wake of uh, you know Lisa Devana's uh, you know revelations and. Uh, We've also had a lot of questions about the Western United Stadium. When's it going to be finished? When are they going to open? When are they going to play games there? I don't think Chris Palavanas could give you an exact answer on that because building a stadium, would you believe, is pretty complicated. Well, that's one of the reasons why this is such a historic moment. The, the day that they actually cut the ribbon and open that stadium, it'll be the future of the game, uh, getting the, the biggest, the biggest uh, boost the game has had in the last 50 years. Just remarkable stuff. And it'll change the way other clubs will start looking at their chance to enter the stakes and own their own stadium. And you've seen it. The Knights can do very much what they want because they have a facility Mm. that they're working on and looking to improve. Uh, Preston, you've told me they've done a lot of work behind the scenes to boost and and improve that platform. Is it getting better and better and better? Yeah, and it's the construction of Preston's new uh, club rooms and sort of bistro and, and everything is, is well underway as well. So it'll be, look totally different uh, next year. They've got a new scoreboard that they've got to get power to that's uh, also got a tower on top of it for, uh, for cameras and, and commentary, which is fantastic. You were down at Heidelberg. You saw some of those changes going on there and how that's changed that old ground. Oh, particularly uh, the pitch. Up. The big thing with Heidelberg for me is just the quality of the pitch has just gone up so so much because it used to, in the depths of winter, be a, an absolute bog and you'd have some terrible games on that thing in Olympic Park because there's a big hill that runs down Correct. and then there's a big Correct. dip and the water just gathers. And sometimes you'd had games rained out um, because it was just an unplayable surface. Now uh, it's pristine all year round. How wonderful. How wonderful. Uh, Josh, you've got programs to fulfill. Uh, we've finished with this one. Um, it's gone way over, but there were reasons for that. And we trust that those of you who've watched and have, have been listening have enjoyed this episode of State of Our Football Nation on FNR. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.